0: Somebody had written in. We talked, I believe it was last week, Mm -hmm. about uh, being in a school setting and being in the lunchroom or being on the playground and how sometimes it's sensory overwhelming to our kids. And you talked about that background noise, how overwhelming it. And you mentioned in passing that there are things that we can do to help our kids acclimatize to that background noise and to be able to differentiate. And they were wanting you just to expound a little bit on that uh, because they have a child who is dealing with that and what, what direction do they need to go. And what kind of help do they need to ask for sure well I mean the kids all have different types of reactions
1: to different sounds Mm -hmm. you know so the first thing would be very important to identify what are the things that are distracting the child Mm -hmm. or just uh, you know um, bothering him even sometimes the kids are disturbed by the noises and then what we do it's a series of uh, steps essentially and you start with Just the, you you make a list of all the different types of sounds, let's say, that are disturbing the child and you start to acclimate the child to each one very gradually in the home setting. Mm -hmm. It's kind of a desensitization process. So, uh, you know, the most common, of course, being just like the sounds from a classroom or playground noise, that sort Mm -hmm. of thing. And you can record the sound at school, play it in the background in the uh, room where you're working with the child, assuming Mm -hmm. that you're doing a behavioral type of intervention Mm -hmm. with the child and um, gradually get the child to be learn to just respond to uh, foreground you know which Mm -hmm. is language or instruction and be able to uh, keep that from distracting him or her and so it's just a procedure where you go from the lowest uh, intrusive sound let's say to the highest intrusive and you go very gradually and you allow the child to acclimate and to be able to pay attention while that sounds in the background okay there are actually tests that are um, done just for sound discrimination as well Mm. Uh, I mean there are certain tests that you you will uh, for instance ask the child to uh, identify certain labels Mm -hmm. and when there's sound in the background you notice that kids get those labels wrong Mm. just because they're not able to focus on the particular thing so it's really important to actually identify if your child is is able okay. to listen to instruction. A lot of the kids have problems with sound, and it's a very common thing. Who would you go
0: to to have that kind of testing done? Who does any that psychologist that kind of would oh, be okay, able a psychologist. to do it? Okay. Sure, okay. I'm
1: sure the school would have resources as well for that. Okay, it's auditory
0: discrimination testing Okay, and
1: so uh, it is so important, though. I mean, and let's not forget to say that auditory is just one source you know in the school there's also other things that could be distracting a lot of times for the children there if they're sitting you know further away from the teacher then it's very hard for them to pay attention to the teacher so or if they're sitting let's say close to a window uh... they might be looking outside or those types of things and all of that of course you start with what i call the more most sort of laboratory type setting so in the room in the child's room at home where you're working with the child you can begin to replicate as many of those conditions as you want but one at a time allow the child to acclimate we even do what we call mock preschool where we like we'll set up a whole scenario with the child sitting on the floor um, perhaps have, you know, other, par- the parents or who a chi- uh, siblings or whoever's available. So the child becomes very acclimated to the exact type
0: of okay. setting that they would have in their classroom. But you kind of layer it on piece by piece. Yes. I'm, I'm envisioning lasagna. I don't know why. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that kind of a morning. Yeah. But, you know, layering it on one thing at a time so you're not heaping it all on at once. It can oh, be absolutely. so overwhelming. Right,
1: okay. which is why our kids uh, have that problem in school because in school, of course, it's everything all at once.
0: Yeah. Right? Exactly. And
1: and sometimes you just won't be able to tell unless you really pay attention to what's going on with the child, one of my kids, Um, had absolutely no problem in the classroom, but about 10 minutes towards the end of the the classroom bell or period, he would start to get really anxious and distracted and um, sometimes would even throw a tantrum. And we found out it was simply because the sound of the buzzer or the bell that would change periods in school was so disturbing to him that he would start to, like, fear it. And, you know, our kids, like, they really, some of the kids have an amazing internal clock. Yes they know when it's coming. So just paying attention and, and looking and seeing what is distracting the child or what's
0: causing any kind of disturbance and then gradually infusing it into the home setting. First. Okay, and it could, because you, you mentioned it could be more than auditory. I'm thinking even those, uh, the, sometimes the, the fluorescent lights flicker. Oh, the fluorescent lights are very disturbing to yeah. some of our kids,
1: absolutely. We don't see the flicker. Right. Um, we actually, it's funny because when a light, when a fluorescent light starts to die, when yeah. the light bulb starts to flicker and we start to see it. Yes, that's what I think a lot of our kids are experiencing. Just that normal uh, when the light is working,
0: and it's disconcerting. It's oh, hard yeah. to concentrate when that when you when you can see that flicker. I'm right. I'm noticing too that the LED lights that are out right now for all the holiday lights mm-hmm. have a flicker to them. Yeah, that's that right. That can be disconcerting. Something that's to right. note.
1: But I mean, just one more thing on that, Shannon, sure. is that you know a lot of times we uh, try to uh, like avoid situations or. Stimuli in the environment that disturb our kids. And it's one, I mean, you have to do that in the very beginning because there's too many of these types of stimuli and they may be disturbing our kids. But what I always say is try not to avoid situations at all, no matter what the situation is, but take it, break it down. Um, you know expose the child to elements of yeah. that situation and make sure that your child is able to cope and do well in any situation yeah and that's very
0: important of course absolutely and and if you think about it it's just an incredibly kind way of doing things we really could be right. doing that for ourselves absolutely. too if something is overwhelming taking it a little bit of a time It's at a time. gradual right absolutely okay uh and this was a question that i think we need to do a little bit of uh back up on it to to tell you where this question is coming from but hi Dr. Doreen I'm surprised and even scared to know that the research on the amount of ABA delivered says that if ABA is done less intensively i.e. less than 10 hours or so the IQ of the child actually drops how is that possible is it true even for quality ABA please share your valuable thoughts on this thanks a lot for your time from a concerned parent of a nine-year-old uh, on the spectrum. So, uh, a little bit of background, that we had somebody write in the other day a question about they they need to go in and argue for the, they have a three-year-old mm-hmm. arguing the efficacy of uh, the the ABA provider for a three-year-old recommended, I believe it was 15 hours. Mm-hmm. And uh, they were saying, you know, what do I need to do to go in and argue for more? Right. Are there studies that show? And Angela Persicky who's a BCBA here, came in and talked about some of the studies that are out there. That that show that efficacy of that 30 to 40 hour window, especially with small kids. And on her graph, they were showing the difference between, and there was one point, a plot point on it in particular that showed, because it showed IQ and also mastering Mm -hmm. different elements. Mm -hmm. There was one point that was for somebody, uh, a group of kids having 10 hours or Mm -hmm. less, Mm -hmm. where IQ had actually dropped by 10 points. And and we've had two people write in this week and express concern. Sure. And I wondered too, because I didn't take it that it was that the ABA had dropped the IQ, that that IQ would have dropped anyway. That's right. But that right. uh, you yeah. didn't so have let, the benefits. Let's talk
1: about that, exactly. Yeah. So, um, all of the studies in ABA basically point to the fact that, uh, you know, all the studies show that the, the groups that received fewer hours or fewer than, let's say, 10, average 10 hours did not really have what we call the optimum outcome or the best outcome so the concepts with ABA of course and the fact the reason that we do it intensively what's our goal our goal is to take the child's mental age which is kind of the level of functioning that the child has and try to expedite that so that it reaches the child's chronological age mm-hmm. so typically when uh, typically developing child their chronological age their normal age mm-hmm. is the same as their mental age so it corresponds right. together right? right and iq is the ratio of mental age to chronological age okay. so if my uh, you know if i'm 49 and my mental age is also 49 then my iq will be 100 it's just a ratio it's a very easy okay. ratio now when you have a child who is, their mental age is behind, what you have to do is obviously teach them a whole ton of stuff in order for them to learn and be able to actually get better and better and better. And then the idea is, okay, we're we're increasing their mental age faster than their aging, okay? Than their chronological age. And so if you do that, the numerator of this formula increases faster and so you reach higher IQ. If you don't do that, obviously with aging because aging is happening anyway. Right. Can't your stop your that. denominator will get bigger and bigger, right? So I your see. age is getting higher, but your mental age is not catching up with it, so your IQ will drop. so when we say that you know just doing 10 hours of ABA or any amount that's not enough and we'll talk about that in a sec sure your your IQ will drop all we're really saying is that with your aging process is going faster than your learning process that's what we mean so if you're doing 10 hours it may not be adequate it may not make your mental age gradually meet your chronological age and at a certain points like we talked about you know past age seven eight and so on the uh what we call malleability of the iq like your the ability to learn that fast slows down anyway right and that's why it's so imperative to be doing this type of uh, intervention at an early age because earlier your brain has so much plasticity that you can overcome various things that you weren't able to do before it'll just overcome it so the the issue is that Unless you're doing as much as you can, the child will age faster than you're able to teach them. You won't catch up. You won't catch up. And this idea of, you know, 10 versus 30 yeah. is is very difficult to, you know, a lot of people... I have a lot of different feelings about this idea altogether of like, should it be 10, should it be 30, should it be 40? And I really feel that it takes a level of experience and expertise to try to really be accurate about what is the optimum uh, level of hours that I should be doing with a child. First yeah. of all, even assuming that the ABA is high quality, really the best you could be doing for the child at all times, assuming that you're being very efficient, in other words, using all the correct programs in the correct order Mm -hmm. and the right prerequisites and so on, then with a Fantastic program. You still have to think okay, this is a two year old. You know, two year olds can't really be doing 30, 40 hours. They right. get too tired. Right. They fall asleep. Um, the Three year old, yeah, this is the age where research shows we should really be pushing the child as much as possible. Um, do I count the school hours? I mean, a lot of people ask me yeah. that. That, of course, has to do again with the quality of intervention in the school and whether it's part of the child's overall ABA program. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, in the last year of intervention, let's say the third or fourth year, a lot of what you're doing is in school. It has to do with generalizing skills. Sure. But not if the child hasn't actually learned a lot of prerequisite skills already, because at that point, then you just want to focus on intervention rather than generalization. Sure. So all that sort of stuff comes in, and there is no golden formula it's just that every study that has been done has shown that obviously if you're doing 10 hours you're doing less than you're doing a 30 hour program you know we did a study a couple of years ago and we showed it didn't even matter 11 hours is better than 10 12 is better 13 Mm -hmm. 40 50 the higher you go the more you're learning
0: obviously because it's really good instruction right that opportunity that we keep talking about the more opportunities we give a child the more likely that they're going to succeed and so the, the more
1: more impacted the child is the more affected they are the more delayed they are the more hours they should really be getting okay now i wouldn't really with a let's say child who has asperger's or pdd fewer symptoms Mm -hmm. um older wouldn't really be doing a 40-hour program because my goals change at a certain point yeah but with the younger children yes you're trying to still get to the point where their mental age will reach their chronological age which is what we call recovery
0: okay. and you know that's where you really want to push the intensity okay so really individualized for the child for right. their circumstances for their age and their abilities but understanding that Ten hours of ABA is better than no hours of ABA. Right. And it's not ten hours of ABA doesn't lower your IQ. It just uh, it just doesn't make it. Get it may be not IQ. enough to make it go up. Right. Okay. And if you were able to compare,
1: let's say, a ten hour child with a no intervention child yeah. and they were identical in every way then over time, the one with no intervention would have
0: a bigger drop in IQ points. Okay, great. Great for us to know. Wonderful. We're here with Dr. Doreen Grampuche, truly a visionary in the field of autism. She's answering your questions today live, Uh, so please keep them coming in. We had a question that I'm really excited uh, to hear your opinion on because it's about bullying and that's a really important Mm -hmm. subject for a lot of our kids. What's the best way to discuss dealing with bullies, especially when the child is aware that the likelihood of bullying is high at the onset of middle school. This is a, a really yeah. tough time that a lot of our parents are writing in about. And we we, we know we want to front load our kids. Uh, but right. how do we discuss the bullying thing? Help us.
1: Right. It's That's another reason that I think it's so important for our kids to be sort of somewhat prepared, at least when they go to school. A lot of times we think that throwing our kids into school when they don't really have the skills to handle these types of things is good for them because we're hoping for some sort of social interaction for our mm-hmm. kids so we t- try to put them in school sometimes when i think it's a little bit too early okay um you know it's the usual answer i mean you, you do try to teach your child as many of the things that they need in order to identify first of all what is bullying i mean okay. a lot of times with our kids they don't first of all they might not even recognize bullying and think that oh a group of kids want to interact with me and they won't Mm -hmm. be able to understand the difference between the child the other kids making fun of our child versus kind of having fun with our child Mm -hmm. and that's a whole series of lessons that we work on another aspect of it is the child not even our child once they recognize it not really knowing how to handle it yeah you know and of course the best scenario is just to walk away from those types of things tell your parents have the parents work with the school and try to put a stop to it fortunately There is a really big movement across the United States right now against bullying, not just with our kids, but across the board, and that's wonderful. So a lot of the schools are actually very open to uh, people going in and giving some form of instruction to the classroom and um, teaching the other kids. To you know what it what bullying can be. Yeah. Um. So and and that's very important. A lot of times our kids just come home very upset and disturbed, and they can't even express why they don't want to go back to school yeah. and why they don't want to you know interact with other kids. Mm-hmm. And it's so important. That with these series of lessons that we have, of course, we teach our kids also the difference between being assertive and being aggressive. If you don't deal with these issues and actually teach the child all the things they need to know when someone else bullies them, it's it is quite likely that our child might become aggressive or might become very avoidant Mm -hmm. or, you know, just take out their anger in some other way. And that's what's really concerning because for our kids, it's so hard for them to to explain how they're feeling to begin with. So, you know, there's a series of lessons like everything else. They're even on skills, actually, where we talk about teaching our children how to identify What other kids are the inferences. Right. Because, you know, a lot of times our kids will just infer the wrong thing. It goes both ways, actually. You know, Mm -hmm. sometimes our kids will misinterpret something as a bullying act when really it was an accidental type of thing that occurred. So it starts with that teaching the child to identify scenarios that might be considered bullying or even just any kind of you know mean behavior from another Mm -hmm. child and then teaching them the steps of what their options are and how they can deal with it and again Shannon, this changes by age right i mean it's one thing if you're in second grade and you go tell the teacher but if you're in sixth grade going and telling the teacher might actually make things worse right so all of those types of things have to be taught up front and then um As I said, a lot of parents, what they've done, like there was this school district we talked about on a previous show in Arizona, I remember, and the parents actually had put together a program um, for going in and teaching other children about autism and about how how you take in the world and what are your difficulties and what are your strengths and so on. And that really produced a lot of compassion in these classrooms and significantly cut down on bullying and other issues like
0: this absolutely and uh, you know it occurs to me that uh, I know autism care and treatment today is is launching uh, yes. compassion cares that's right um, with ambassadors <coughs> of kids who are on the spectrum who go and talk about things and you know and uh, as that unfolds we'll let you guys know if you want to have them come to your school yeah
1: absolutely uh, an
0: amazing thing there's an amazing young man that we've had on the show before Jesse Saperstein mm-hmm. who is really uh, has a diagnosis and has been out there really speaking about this particular issue and uh, makes himself available when possible to go to schools and, right. and how wonderful that is for kids to see a role model both the child with autism but the other kids to see as well and to hear absolutely. from them that their actions they're accountable for them. Yeah
1: you actually gave me a really good idea I mean this would be something amazing for our kids our
0: older kids who yes, recovered if they're absolutely. interested in starting something like this. Yeah. Absolutely uh, because it's important for our kids to see that mm-hmm. um, and, and and to hear that that there are ways that they can deal with it and that their friends can deal with it. So important. Right. Great. Uh, another question, uh, somebody wrote in and said, thank you, Dr. Dream. My son is one of the lucky ones. <clears throat> he is getting ABA and making great strides. My question is about the rest of the family. Why aren't there services for couples going through this and for brothers and sisters? Autism affects us all.
1: Oh, so true. Oh my yeah. gosh. Yeah. It's a family thing. It is definitely a family thing. And you know, historically, I'll have to answer that and say, I agree with you. I think there should be Um, We actually do have sibling support groups here. We have uh, a lot of programs for our siblings. We've actually offered a lot of programs for parents as well. We have uh, MFT counselors who provide family services for our parents, but the truth is um, years and years ago I remember when we didn't have this type of funding that we do now with insurance and and various other sources um, We offered MFT services to our parents maybe even like 15 years ago. I remember that And there was hardly any interest. And I think the reason is, and I thought about this over the years. I think when your child is having an issue, you pretty much put all of your resources into your child, and you're not even, you don't even want help for yourself in some ways. It's kind of like, you know, I don't want to take the time to go heal myself. Most people, you know, I just want to take care of my child and get my child to where they possibly can go. now that there is insurance funding for most of our kids in most of the states uh... then you know i really hope that people start to develop more and more of these programs for the f- entire family siblings in particular i really worry about siblings because um, as parents we spend probably three four five sometimes ten years completely focused on the one child and how to get the child through what what they're going through. Yeah. And we really forget about all the issues that, are, that the siblings are having. Well, I mean, I don't want to say we forget, but we, we just, they're less important. It's less important yeah. if you had an argument with your best friend than the other child not being able to communicate, let's, yeah. let's put it that way. But what ends up happening is a lot of our siblings um, are left out. Um, they're often asked to make compromises for their affected sibling and that influences their own development and it may sometimes cause some anger in the siblings that you know i why did i have to compromise on everything yeah um so it's really important to pay attention to the the siblings and i often say once we're involved at least when we have intensive programs we try to really take care of all the needs of our
0: child and then i tell the parents just take time for yourself and take time for the siblings. Yeah. yeah, you guys are really a remarkable model of taking care of the whole family, and it's I think hard. that more. It's... Well, of course it's hard, but I think that more organizations need to follow your lead. But I would also say, you know, I would encourage people if you're at the point where you're ready, um, ask around, ask your local sor- support group what is available for you, because there are more things that are happening. I think the more oh, people absolutely. are paying attention to your lead, and and I and I so appreciate what you said about parents because I remember. a Time when my husband and I were so all in with getting our son help that to me I would say, well, the kitchen is on fire. If there's you know if there's a toilet plugged up someplace That's else, right. we're dealing with the kitchen on That's fire exactly right now. Right. But eventually that toilet overflowing catches up with you. That's right. That's <laughs> you right. Know? That's right. And and you do need to get help at yeah. some point. So you know uh, realizing that you're prioritizing, but there are other things that are pressing and important, like your other kids right. and your relationship with yourself with your right. yourself and your significant other and
1: or even your exhaustion level yeah sometimes I worry so much about for the moms because you know I'll do a two three hour I will never forget I had a mom who had um, twin sons Mm -hmm. and an older son all affected with autism and i and i remember doing a two to three hour clinic you know sort of a meeting with the mom and reviewing the programs and stuff and after the three, three hours when i left i thought i had a headache yeah you know the kids were very very active and running all over the place and sort of destroying everything and you had to constantly be on them and i thought i don't like my I was not when I left my number one priority was to get help for mom yeah it wasn't even about what can I do to make these children better right that moment it yeah. was more about how can I save this mom because yeah. I don't know how she's going to manage like from one Absolutely. minute to the next and that of course you know there's so much pressure on the parents to yeah. get trained and learn everything and 24-7 do ABA with your child and yeah. make sure you follow through make sure you follow through and quite honestly sometimes the parents are just exhausted yeah. and they you can't always follow through when you're that tired yeah. and you don't have time to breathe yeah so even just as important as having a good behaviorist and a good ABA program I think is having Resources that allow you to
0: have some respite yeah. and some time for yourself. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, you guys did that for me in terms of prioritizing because, you know, week one when we started, we had our laundry list of things that we were concerned about and there was some self injurious behavior that was really right. tearing me up. Um, but you guys looked at us and also on our list a little further down was getting him to sleep earlier because we couldn't get him to sleep before three o'clock in the morning. Oh and even then we had to drive him around right. the block. 300 times and I had gotten to the point where I expressed that I was afraid I was going to fall asleep driving the car because I was so overtired and overwhelmed and you know so first on my list was the self injurious behavior and what got said to me was we need to take care of the sleep first because you are going to need to be present to help take care of the self injurious behavior and it took a matter of it's embarrassing I think it took four days before we got him to sleep sleep. at like 830 in the evening with the help from the Center for Autism and Related Disorders. So it literally was delaying things by four days. Oh, my gosh. But it changed my ability to cope in those four days. It was truly life-changing. Sleep is a huge issue, Sean. I mean, our parents
1: just get used to it after a while, and they're walking around, like, just exhausted, and they don't realize that they haven't had a decent night of sleep in years. And it's just... It shouldn't be that way and it's usually unless the child has pretty significant health issues usually it's a pretty easy procedure and getting the child to the point where they actually have you know five six seven hours of straight sleep
0: is is unbelievably important oh yeah life-changing for the whole family so those priorities really important okay uh all right here's an interesting one we just had our iep and i really didn't agree with what the school had for goals i wish i had someone there who knew my kid and what he needed. Does CARD ever go with parents to IEPs? Yeah. yeah. So we always go to IEPs and we actually are very very involved
1: with writing the IEPs. Yeah. Uh, Pretty much unless the school district doesn't allow us to, we will take over the whole IEP system and write up everything. Um, Some of the school districts in California just don't don't allow us to write more than a couple of goals but our IEP reports are massive. I mean they're basically intended to be very inclusive of everything we're gonna do with the child um, you know as a parent this is one more thing it's like okay not only deal with all the stuff with your child and your own exhaustion and all your all, and your ch- other children and all that sort of stuff but you really need to learn the law yeah that is one of the most important things we have here at card a fabulous a group of people, Julie Kornack, who is our public policy analyst, and she is just amazing in terms of really reading all the details and explaining everything to us. So it's really important to know you don't actually have to sign agreements with the IEP and you can, you do have the ability to take the document with you, talk to other advocates, talk to parents, Mm -hmm. figure out alternatives, there's a lot of accommodations that a lot of our parents don't know they can ask for, there's a lot of things that you can Can do if you don't agree with the IEP absolutely I mean the law is really clear that the district has to provide to you what is appropriate to your child for your child Mm -hmm. and if you have disagreements with what is what you consider to be appropriate then you get professionals involved and um, in a lot of cases I mean that's why Shannon we have funding we had school district funding here in California because Back in the, I guess, early 90s, we didn't. And a lot of parents just went forward and set precedent on this issue and pressed forward and took the districts to court if they had to. And then the districts and we all learned together over time and made the programs so that they do work for the families. A lot of other states, that doesn't happen all that much. I mean, there there are some parts of the country where uh, the school districts won't even let someone on the school grounds yeah. who's a professional, you know, and the parents, uh, even the parents themselves are limited to 20-minute uh, observations of their own children. Those types of things, you know, you can get the help from advocates and lawyers, and, and you can't. You, it's your right
0: to yes. know what's going on with your child. Absolutely. And you you guys are wonderful at IEPs, and uh, but I recently went through our IEP for the first time without taking a uh, mm-hmm. card mm-hmm. with us mm-hmm. because... Can I tell you what was so wonderful was that I had skills, sure. and I went through and picked some goals for right. my son that I thought were important for the playground. Right, and I took the because the the I I, I took. I'd done my assessment for right, him right. and so I knew what was appropriate for him right. and Things picked the ones I wanted on at school. and then I the, the language was there for me right. in there's a right. the so benchmark have, like, and the language house, in right. the skills program and so I printed them out and it was so exciting. That's awesome. That's and terrific. and those are being added to his IEP. Those right, goals. And right. they were thrilled with them. And it was a lovely, lovely thing. That's so right. uh, love. Another thing that I love about Skills for that. Uh, uh, and I do love skills. Uh, okay. Oh, this is a really interesting one. I have the hardest time explaining autism to friends and relatives. What is a quick way that I can explain it? I was talking about what's, what's your elevator pitch for autism? Uh, can you get it to a two-minute thing? I have not figured that out yet. What do yeah. you say? I guess, uh, yeah, it really depends on how much
1: time I have. But, I mean, I guess the short version for me, my, my understanding of autism. And, you know, I have to say that I don't necessarily agree with everything that's out there. Mm-hmm. So my, my way of seeing autism is that it starts with a genetic predisposition. And when I say that, it's really important to, to you know define that because a lot of people think that think that, when when we say something is genetic, that means it j- doesn't change. Right. Well, genetic changes right. by exposure, actually. Mm-hmm. So over time, our gene uh, pool changes, mm-hmm. obviously. And so when I say it ha- starts with a genetic predisposition, uh, you know, anything that could have been happening with your parents who passed on their genes to you could mm-hmm. have modified the genes they're passing on to you. Genes right. change all the time. They mutate. Right. So... Um, you have a genetic predisposition, which doesn't lead to autism. For me, it leads to some uh, different functioning of the immune system. Let's okay. put it that way. Uh, because I know that th- with our children, the vast majority of our kids have issues with detoxification. Mm-hmm. And there's a ton of studies showing that, you know, the kids have high oxidative stress. They're lower than they should be in methylation. So mm-hmm. they're actually detoxed. they're exposed to environmental Toxins mm-hmm. and th- that's a broad broad list. So, I mean right. there's a million things that are Intoxicants in our environment and we are too. We're exposed to the same intoxicants, but we detoxify faster mm-hmm. And our kids are not detoxifying and then having those types of Toxic elements will then it, with the growing developing brain will lead to different types of growth and development mm-hmm. so When you see a child who's been exposed to uh, toxic elements very, very early on, you'll see that the child has more sensory-type issues, because the first area of development is sensory. Uh And then when you have a child who's been, maybe their immune system is functioning relatively stronger, so they've been able to detoxify, but then at a certain point they overload, let's say post-vaccines or post-whatever dietary-type stuff that they're not able to eliminate. Um, And then those kids are typically high functioning but they have aberrations in other areas of brain functioning so overall it's sort of this you know process where you have the genetic predisposition leading to immune dysfunction Mm -hmm. which usually in our kids you'll see in the form of like gastrointestinal problems and digestive issues or detox related issues and so on that then will lead to different type of brain growth or development and then the symptoms of the brain growth or development um, will be what we call autism because really autism is just a series of symptoms right I mean nobody really talks about why is my child lining objects up why is my child not developing language and a lot of that just has to do with how the brain develops right okay. and if, if your brain is um, overexposed to toxic things that mm-hmm. it cannot Get rid of. Um, it's going
0: to develop quite differently. Your neurotransmitter, your whole biochemistry is going to be different. Interesting. And so, because a lot of people will talk about environment and say, then, then why is it just this one uh, subset of the population? But that that it goes could back be to the fact genetics. that they're not.
1: Yeah, I mean, it just goes back to the fact that the vast majority of our kids have problems detoxifying. Okay, It's a huge. That's why. You know, when I I look at a lot of the uh, medical stuff that's been developing in autism, you know, the basis for all of it is always detox. It's always detoxification. I mean, whether you are giving your child uh, vitamin B injections, whether you are... Uh, putting the child on some sort of diet the concept is let me stop exposing the child to things that are toxic yeah or things that he or she just cannot digest cannot um, make nutrients from right and so which of course you know like we talk about diets gluten for instance uh-huh. and you know what happens with gluten is if you're not breaking gluten down properly which a lot of our kids are not right then it become it starts to what you're doing is you're exposing the child is being exposed to peptides of amino acids and peptides then will what we call the leaky gut you know that's the late term for it but essentially what's happening is those peptides from gluten are are um, tricking the child's biochemistry because they act as endorphins right and so then our kids are acting as if they're you know high on some sort of endorphin and then of course they're not able to focus pay attention and so on so in some ways that whole you know peptide process Mm -hmm. is also like a toxic thing for the child because yeah. it's ca- causing the child to not be able to focus or pay attention. So all of that is kind of like clean up the child's biochemistry, clean up, don't expose them to additional toxic elements and try to stabilize the child's health. That's why I strongly believe in that. And then Absolutely. and then do ABA because
0: then you have a awake, healthy child who's sleeping right. and you can actually teach them everything they need. Wonderful information. You know, my, my running joke always about going to some conferences is that I never need to see another slide of another peptide of or yeah. casein ever again, yeah. because a lot of, you go and you, yeah. you see, and they start to talk about it, and they put up the slide of the peptide, and you go, okay, right. I you know, I'm gonna get a t-shirt with the peptide right. and say, now we've covered it. Right. <laughs> I, I've seen not, it, not
1: but to, it's important. Oh yeah, absolutely, but I mean, and not to even, I haven't even touched on the whole concept of, you know, so much of our food is genetically modified. Yes. You really aren't receiving any more the healthy bacteria that you need. Um, um, no one is I mean like it, it's not limited to our kids right. Like you see so many other people who now have asthma or yeah. uh, chronic illnesses and all you really do is change their diets and things change for the better
0: yeah absolutely and of course we know that a lot of uh, I-, I certainly experience as I move about the world and meet other autism moms that there are a lot of us that have uh, immune issues oh absolutely um, and that you know that was shocking to me when I discovered how many of the different moms that I'm, you know, moving through the world with that also have immune issues. That was just a big eye-opener for me.
1: Right, but I mean, the interesting thing is, Shannon, if you were to take actual immune testing from everyone across the board, moms mm-hmm. or non-moms, it doesn't mm-hmm. matter, and you contrasted that to maybe 10, 20 years ago, you yeah. see a huge difference because we all do right now we all do we all have immune systems that are functioning quite differently than they were 20 years ago I mean how many people do you know who do regular juice cleanses yeah right yeah 30 years ago nobody 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 knew what that was that was just some fruity thing that they did in Los
0: Angeles (laughs) now it's a very common thing or even
1: other things like the health of the moms you talk about how many people do you know who are having a hard time getting pregnant yeah you know so those types of issues are are beyond autism we really are our food sources is not very good right now (sighs)
0: Unfortunately. Right. And uh, easy to get overwhelmed by those things. We should probably take a break and come back. uh, And then we have one more question that I want to get to today before we go to the story of Luke. But stick with us. We'll be back more with Ask Dr. Doreen after this. Welcome back to Ask Dr. Doreen. Our special guest right now, Dr. Doreen Grampuche, truly uh, a visionary in the field of autism. You've been working with children. But it's the truth. I'm speaking the truth. You've been working with children on the autism spectrum for more years than you should admit to because you look incredibly young and the numbers don't I add don't know. up. It would be, we're going into well, 2012. It'll be 30... 30- two, three years, 33 yeah. years? Well, that's, no one would believe Crazy. that to look at you. Uh, yeah. I want to know what your skincare regimen is. <laughs> um, but in any case, that's a long period of time, a lot of changes that you've been right there at the forefront right. of uh, truly a, a brilliant mind in this field. Such a pleasure for us to have you here and answering Thank questions. Thank you very much. I, we have time for one more question, and it kind of goes hand in hand with what we're about to discuss. Uh, somebody wrote in and said, how can I encourage my teenage Asperger son Uh, to transition to college life, what skills should we focus on? And I, oh, you know, my gosh. Yeah, I know. Just a precursor, because I, I, we were talking mm-hmm. um, that in a few minutes we're, when we do Let's Talk Autism with Shannon and Nancy, we have the producer and we have the writer-director and the star of a film, The Story of Luke, mm-hmm. which details a young man as he's going, and he has an autism diagnosis. Although he says in the film, my grandmother says I defy clinical diagnosis. That's awesome. what he says. But um, he clearly has autism, and he is trying to make that transition to being an adult to having a job to going on a date living on his own and 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 the kinds of preparation he needs and the things skills he needs to put in his satchel to do that um so i thought it was particularly poignant uh with what we're going to talk about how right i want i want to know how do we prepare our kids (laughs) it's just too hard to
1: i guess it's too hard to answer that question in a few minutes because really you're looking at a massive number of things that have to be taught and really it depends on the level of functioning of the of the individual that Mm -hmm. we're talking about you know we it's we say my child with Asperger's and that because we're kind of contrasting it to autism I suppose most of us think okay well the child is really really high-functioning and can therefore handle anything that comes his way or so and that's just not true because our kids or adults with Asperger's need a lot of help as well And, you know, it's one thing you should see our, our card two curriculum, it's mm-hmm. massive, right? Yeah. I mean, you, we're like I've said before, we're with some of our kids, we're working on just basic communication skills all the way up to how do I dress to go for a job interview? How yeah. do I balance a checkbook? I mean, those are just core skills. Right. But the truth is the number one thing that I experienced with my Asperger's uh, adolescence going into college, I guess, is the social aspects being yeah. so hard. Because they really do, um, some of our kids have uh, thankfully been protected in a way that they're very happy souls coming into college mm-hmm. and they look at other people as you know they project and, and they see everyone as being good. Mm-hmm. And, and life in college is hard. Yeah. It's not easy finding the right group to hang out with yeah. and making sure you monitor your own schedule and yes. at the same time meet the right people. How do I even move to um you know introduce myself to a girl or what you know and of course with relationship development of relationships the biggest thing is trying to figure out how the other person feels which of course is one of the biggest problems in our area which is theory of mind or perspective taking Mm -hmm. and sometimes um other people misunderstand things so fast you know it's like oh he called me even with normal adolescence, right? He called me 10 times, he's stalking me or something like that, right? So a lot of things can go wrong in the college years. And I just think that, you know, I would be doing a disservice to to this question in particular if I didn't spend a lot of time on this issue. What I would recommend is, um, I actually don't know if we even have the uh, if 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 a parent wants this i'd be happy to send it to them it's like okay. a table of contents of all the different areas that we we teach our adolescents it's kind of a, a curriculum but it's just the list okay <clears throat> and it's massive right okay. i mean and it really differs for each individual again it has to do with what their skills and deficits are right. uh but again like anything else the short answer is teach them all the skills you can Protect them as much as you can because you will want to do a very gradual infusion into the college setting. Um, make sure that the, the individual or the child is able to um, have a certain level of self-esteem based on their own skills. Right, and This is critical. A lot of my kids who are successful, it's because they have great skills they're like awesome musicians or awesome whatever and they they go back to that when they feel lonely or when they feel sad or depressed or something like that so wonderful those are important things but then I would say that's true for anyone
0: right? yeah but you know i don't know that we always think of it in that term that you no, know making sure that you pack in the, here you know here are the things that you're great at that you can always come back to exactly these are thing. things
1: you can do healthy ways of dealing with anxiety i mean i have a whole lecture on anxiety, or several lectures on anxiety in adolescence mm-hmm. with our kids And it's really all about anxiety. Because if you have healthy ways of dealing with anxiety, then you can go through those tough
0: situations in college. You know what's always striking to me is that we talk about these things for our kids, like you said, but the truth of the matter is they would be good for all of us. Oh yeah, absolutely. I I always say, in particular, the executive functions uh, program and uh, curriculum and skills, that if every junior high school student had the benefit of that, they would be so much more successful in high school and college (laughs) so you know forget autism this would be great I mean there are people who pay for business coaches to be taught that as adults exactly how to plan and
1: organize yourself absolutely yeah and also a lot of these types of things like you mentioned you know just techniques to help yourself get through tough times Oh, we do. some of us do that in a healthy way some of us do that in an unhealthy way right but we all get through it somehow and it's just a matter of teaching our kids healthy ways to to drop back when they kind of have different
0: anxiety, fear, all those types of things which come with a college. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, you know, it reminds me that while this journey can be tough, that we get privy to a lot of information that can help us and can help our kids and uh, a, a parent that I love and adore that actually was the first person who said card to me she said you know what's wonderful about this is that I got the best parent training that mm-hmm. there is on the planet so good. that's
1: awesome to hear I feel that way for my own kids too but I mean honestly we will learn a lot more from our adolescents which I think I can't wait to go and listen to the next show because
0: I'm sure that we'll learn a lot from Luke on this issue yes as well. it's a it's an amazing film yeah. but I thank you so much for being here and with us pleasure. and we look forward to having you back next week yeah. Sweet, and for those of you that we, we there were a lot of questions that we didn't get to uh, but I want to remind you that we do keep a list and we keep putting in some of the ones from previous weeks so that we will eventually will catch up uh, at some point uh, I, I can't imagine that we'll get to a point where there are no more questions but uh, <laughs> wouldn't that be a thing to strive for when, when it's all solved and we've answered all the questions uh, in any case you can keep those questions coming in and ask for clarification as somebody did uh, this particular week if there's something that you want to know more about about. And if you're interested in that list that uh, Dr. Grampichet was talking about, from the CARD2 curriculum, the list of the kinds of things, let us know and we will make that available to you.